and welcome to the 495. I'm your host, Doug Sparks, Editor-in-Chief of Merrimack Valley Magazine. Lou, how are you doing? I'm doing week? all right today. Doing yeah. the best I can with what I'm being given. Okay, all right. That's that's all we can ask of you. Yeah. I'm doing great. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the top. I, I love this topic. I love the topic on today's show. So I'm, I'm, of course, excited. And I like being in the outdoors. I wish I could be in the outdoors more, but, you know, it's... it's uh, you know, maybe at some point, actually, remote work is interesting, right? Because I have this, like, fantasy, this daydream of just being able to, to, to do editing and writing from yeah. a cabin up in the mountains. Oh, from a cabin. I yeah. thought you were going to say outdoors. And then you see yeah. a screen in the sun and forget it. I'm <laughs> right. not doing this. Sure, sure. <laughs> Although, I've, I mean, for sure, during the pandemic, I've, I've literally been outdoors a lot more doing my work. Sure. And it's great. Yeah, that's great. Take your shoes off and let the sun shine down yeah. on your face and uh, shuffle the deck. A and, little and there's bit. a lot going on in the backyard that you don't notice until oh, yeah. you stay out there for a long period. Because yep. you get to see, like, over just what's happened. I, I can see all the different kind of bird species as they come through. In one week, there's like a whole lot of this particular thing, and then those things disappear. Yep. And you know, you're a groundhog. There's all sorts of critters that live even in a small yard, and and it's it's just neat to observe them. And the only way you can see what they're up to is if you're if you're patient. If you spend the time, right? If exactly. you spend the time. Yeah, that's right. So uh, one of our guests today isn't with us yet. We're hoping uh, John Judge is going to be able to join us. He's a president and CEO of the Appalachian Mountain Club, which, if you don't know, is America's oldest oh. conservation organization. It started in 1876 in. Our, our area in Boston. 1876, nice. 1876, the mm -hmm. oldest one. Uh, so the guest we have with us is named uh, Amy Lindholm. Amy is the um, uh, coalition manager of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. We're going to find out what that is. And the Northeast Regional Coordinator of the Appalachian Mountain Club. Amy, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me okay? I, absolutely. So just uh, before we get into the Great American Outdoors Act, just real quick, what is the Land and Water Conservation Fund for people who don't know what that is? Absolutely. Uh, well, we like to call it America's most important conservation and recreation program. Um, it's a federal program um, that funds a diverse array of projects across the country um, and basically allows communities to, to, to pick and choose among its different tools um, to do the kind of conservation work that they want to do in their community, whether they need to protect their drinking water, whether they need to provide expanded access to outdoor recreation opportunities, um, whether they need to um, keep forest as forest for either climate purposes or green space. Um, there's a there's a tool in the box of the of the land and water conservation fund for for all of these things. Um, and <clears throat> it was it was created um, more than 50 years ago and basically has this really kind of elegant construction. It takes the funds that um, that oil and gas companies pay for the privilege of drilling in in federal waters offshore and reinvests a portion of that profit that belongs to the public um, in the you know permanent conservation of land and water and recreational resources uh, for everyone to enjoy. Yeah. So it's been, uh, at least my understanding as an outsider, it's been a good time uh, after after years of, of kind of struggle because the Great American Outdoors Act was passed, signed in, into to law in uh, early August. So what can you tell us about the Great American Outdoors Act? Absolutely. Um, 
So we're super excited about that. Uh, and AMC has been celebrating this, uh, this victory and the LWCF coalition and hundreds of groups across the country have been celebrating. Um, so we have been working for full permanent funding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, AMC has been working on this for decades. Uh, and I've been working with the LWCF coalition on this solidly for the last 10 years. Um, so the Great American Outdoors Act uh, passes into law full permanent funding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Yeah. So all of those royalties that are coming into the fund um, are actually spent on the intended purpose. Um, over the past 55 years, LWCF has been very successful, but it's been chronically underfunded. Um, and more than half of the money that was set aside for this purpose from those offshore royalties was actually spent on other things. So the Great American Outdoors Act will change that um, and fully fund LWCF forever. So we're super excited about that. Yeah, the, this, I just want to let you both know John is with us now. Okay. It, 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 can you hear us? John, can you hear us? So John, say hi. hi. Good afternoon. Yeah, okay. I can hear you. Thanks. Okay, so I, I'm going to continue talking about, We're right now we're talking about the Great American Outdoors Act, and I'm, I'm speaking with Amy, so people now, John is with us. John Judge is the president and CEO of the Appalachian uh, Mountain Club. We talk, We spoke a little bit about your organization, so, uh, so people are, are ready to go. So we'll jump right back in with... With Amy, and so the the big question I have about the Outdoors Act is this was like um, it passed the House and the Senate by a landslide, and it was very bipartisan. Why was that? Yeah, uh, well, you know, the Land and Water Conservation Fund was created in a bipartisan way. It was created under the Eisenhower administration and the Kennedy administration. It's been bipartisan from the very beginning. Um, and it's <clears throat> something that, you know, has something for everyone. So whether you're a climate activist or you're a conservative hunter, there, there's something in the outdoors for you and there's something in the Land and Water Conservation Fund for you. Um, so it really brings people together. And, and we've found um, at the Appalachian Mountain Club, you know, that the outdoors really unifies us. Uh, and that's never been more clear than during the pandemic. Um, and the Land and Water Conservation Fund is, is an example of what, what can be done in Congress when, when you have an issue that unifies people that way. Yeah. So, uh, John, we spoke a little bit about the LWCF. Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners know about the AMC, but they, you know, they don't know everything. They don't know all the sort of uh, different resources you have and some of the programs you have. So can you tell us a little bit about the AMC, please? Sure. Uh, thanks, Doug. Thanks for having us on. Uh, so the AMC is the country's oldest uh, conservation and outdoors organization. We're founded in 1876, and many folks who've grown up in uh, New England uh, know us well, but we stretch from Maine to uh, Virginia is our service area. And we have just a very robust uh, volunteer corps who's been, who have been the, the backbone of AMC uh, for uh, many decades now coming up, you know, it'll be 150 years in 2026. But in addition to over a hundred facilities, the the high mountain huts that a lot of people uh, know of uh, um, in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, we do a considerable amount of trail work, including the Bay Circuit Trail uh, around uh, 495, uh, the trail work, the New England Scenic Trail, out, uh, the Mid-State Trail, uh, and we do a lot of programming too, um, you know, getting uh, thousands of folks outdoors, whether it be through our chapter-led programs, we've got 12 chapters, or the professionally run uh, programs that our staff uh, put on. 
but conservation policy, conservation research is a big part of who we are. And we're doing a number of things on alpine zone research, on stream restoration, on resiliency, uh, whether it be uh, resiliency in and around cities or resiliency in forests. But one of the things we're most proud of is the work that uh, we're doing with Amy. Amy's uh, leading the land water conservation uh, fund uh, reappropriation. And now that we've got it, got it done, you know, what's the, what's the next big thing? And one of the things that she's done is just engaged more than a thousand organizations and in countless thousands of people in picking up the phone and calling their representative, uh, whether it be the House uh, or the Senate, and getting them to act on this. So as you said, it was a great bipartisan, bipartisan victory. And that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on at an AMC, that we're a, we're a nonpartisan organization. So we've got Republicans, Democrats, independents, people who love the outdoors and come to conservation stewardship, usually initially through some fun outdoor experience they've had with us. Maybe it's, you know, learning how to snowshoe for the first time or uh, coming up and staying over in the huts as a family. So we've tried to uh, instill conservation stewardship in our folks, uh, the, but the secret sauce is the fun of the outdoors. What, what brings them to conservation initially is, is the fun and keeping them engaged is one of the things we're trying to do. Yeah, you know, I was looking at uh, uh, outdoors.org, which is your website. And one of the things that struck me was the, because I guess I had never connected them in, in my head until I saw this, is you run a lot of leadership programs. And the idea that the outdoors and training in the outdoors can also be something that teaches you how to, to lead, lead organizations and lead people, you know, I think is, I think is, is really interesting. I'm, I'm reading this book right now called River of Doubt, which is about Teddy Roosevelt's travel on an unexplored, previously unexplored uh, Amazon tributary. And what he went through, but it's also like like a, a story about leadership, right? Like, well, how do you how do you organize people in in, in you know kind of a, diff, a difficult situation? Right. Uh, so I'm just wondering, what's the connection there? Why why do you have leadership programs out in the mountains and out in the parks and out in uh, out in the great outdoors? Right. Yeah. The leadership training and learning uh, have been part of the AMC. From day one and it started out as you can imagine around preparedness you know if you're going up uh in the white mountains uh if you haven't been up there uh, number one i'd recommend you go up but before you go up you really need to know you know what you're getting into and though the white mountains has had some of the most harsh weather in the world um so you know being prepared for different weather conditions being prepared in the event somebody gets hurt, uh, being able to lead a group. Um, so one of the things that we pride ourselves on in AMC is that all of the leaders that bring out trips, whether they are international trips through our adventure travel program or close to home uh, hikes, they're led by a trained leader. So unlike some of the trips you may sign up through Meetup or online with, with other uh, folks, if you sign up for an AMC trip, that person is going to be uh, a trained AMC leader. So leadership and leadership training have always been 
a core um, in the in the preparedness realm, and then also uh, on the education front, we're training teachers and youth workers, including folks in Lawrence and Lowell and Boston and Worcester, in outdoor leadership and outdoor learning. So they are getting trained over the course of four or five days in our outdoor leadership training or OLT, and knowing some of the basics about how to put up a tent, you know. The, the basics of leave no trace uh, kind of camping and outdoors, but then also the peer-to-peer leadership, the crisis kind of leadership, um, things that they need to know. So uh, we're, we're very fortunate that we've got about 16,000 volunteers, uh, one of the, uh, the biggest volunteer-driven uh, organizations uh, on the East. And I think a, a large part of that uh, group stays connected with us because they do like the leadership training and they, they like the consistency of having that uh, leadership pathway for so many of the folks that come into AMC. There is some, there's some consistency in terms of standards of leadership across the 12 chapters uh, that we have. But yeah, it's a, it's a really big deal uh, when you think about getting out into the wilderness, whether it be wilderness survival or hiking a mountaintop or being out uh, in the ocean or in the river when a storm comes along, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a big part of who we are, Doug. Sure. So um, I have another question for you, John, and then I want to get back to uh, Amy and talk a little bit about um, the Outdoors Act. Uh, what's available now through the organization? Because I know COVID has changed things. I, I looked at the website and I wanted to see if I could go out and rent a, uh, you know, a lodge this weekend. It seems like some of them are, are shut down. Uh, so what's available now as far as programming? Can I take classes? Can I stay at an AMC uh, lodge? What what can I do? Yeah, that's a great question. We um, This year, we unfortunately had to close down the uh, Appalachian Mountain Club huts, the White Mountain huts. There are eight of them. Uh, our model is, is communal living. So, you know, having folks in bunk houses you know, or in bunk rooms, you know, 15 people in a, in a room uh, kind of arrangement at Lakes of the Clouds. That just didn't work, obviously, with physical distancing under COVID. So what we did is we kept them open only for safety reasons. So if you hike up there, we're still doing search and rescue out of there. We're supplying, uh, people can fill up their water bottles. We're supplying lunches. Uh, You can use the the restrooms. Uh, But now we're getting into the fall, so uh, that will change as well. We do have some facilities like the Highland Center, which is uh, Crawford Notch, Bread and Woods. You can get a private uh, room there with a private bath or a private room with a shared bath. That's still open. Uh, many of our main facilities, we've got three eco lodges in the main woods. Uh, so about five hours from the Boston area, but well worth the trip. It's, it's really a glorious place. I was up there a couple of weeks ago with my family. You can rent a private cabin there. Um, Pinkham Notch, right around the Wildcat Ski Slope, uh, that's open. Uh, our camp outside of New York uh, called Harriman, uh, that's open and uh, that's doing quite well. And our camp in the Delaware Water uh, Gap uh, called Mohegan is open as well too. So there are, there are these lodges and cabins that you can, you can book and stay with us. Uh, and we'll have many of those open uh, through the winter as well. What we'll probably do, Doug, is maybe just open them up on the weekends 
uh, when when we do have a assurance that there'll be some pretty good demand. But so far, the demand for these uh, single cabins has been very high. It's it, it's done quite well. And then, as as we've said, we've had to pull back from the bunk room or communal living communal living uh, kind of arrangements. But yeah, we have a lot of um, facilities still open. And then program-wise, we're doing smaller kind of programs. So if you and your family want to get up and go out with the naturalist, for instance, at the, at the Highland Center, you can do that. Or go out with a small group of, say, six to eight folks. You can do that uh, and learn about the outdoors. Or take a guide. There are AMC guides that will bring you up to any of the huts, the lodges. And we continue to do... Uh, outdoor leadership training. A lot of it has been moved online. We've had over 400 programs that have moved online. So you can take uh, quite a quite a few online training courses. Uh, one of the ones I know, snowshoes are uh, are tough to find now. I was talking to the head of L.L. Bean yesterday, and they're just you know selling out of snowshoes. But we, if you do uh, own a pair of snowshoes or interested in snowshoeing. Uh, this winter or cross-country skiing or or hiking in, in, the, in the winter. We've got a number of programs that folks can check out the website at outdoors.org and sign up for. But, you know, great intro kind of programs. Yeah, I, I suspect we're going to see an explosion of, of interest in snowshoeing. And it's a little scary that people are already are already buying them up. I, I wanted to get back into mountain biking at the beginning of COVID and just kind of casually figured, you know, I should probably go buy a mountain bike. Not knowing that when you go into the bike stores, they're completely empty. There's nothing. There's nothing uh, there, on the shelves. It's it's kind of eerie. Uh, so maybe we'll see it with snowshoeing, and it, maybe that, that, that's great. I love snowshoeing. Uh, so that's where we're at right now, uh, and I'm wondering. There's this uh, enthusiasm, and Amy, this is a question for you. There's this enthusiasm about this act that's been passed, and everybody's very excited. Why are they so excited? What are we going to see that's different? What are we going to see in 2021 uh, and 22 and 23 and on because of the passage of this act? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a huge opportunity, right? We've 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 really come to value the outdoors as never before. Um, and that's reflected in in the passage of the Great American Outdoors Act, which is so exciting. Um, so what we're going to see because of the Great American Outdoors Act and because it um, it, you know, makes into law full permanent funding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, we're going to see about a doubling of investment um, in these places, in parks and trails and greenways and river access and, and all of these things um, from, from our most iconic national parks down to your local playgrounds. Um, so it, it's, it's really exciting and, and it will be challenging to get that money in the ground. Um, because it, it is a big expansion of the funding stream, but the need is there. There's an unmet need um, that, that stretches back decades as this program has been underfunded. So we're excited to see that money get in the ground um, and to see it get in the, in the ground in a more equitable way and make sure that the communities that are not served and that are underserved um, do have equal access to the outdoors. Um, it's, it's you know, the, our partners at the Trust for Public Land have done some great research into park access, have found that 100 million Americans don't have a park within 10 minute walk of their home. 
Um, and then even for those who do, they found that parks serving primarily communities of color are about half the size of parks that are serving primarily white communities. So there's a lot of work to do and there's so much enthusiasm about getting outside that it's a great kind of confluence of events right now um, to have you know, a deepening of investment through the Great American Outdoors Act. It, it, so I want to I want to pick up on that a little bit. And uh, John, I looked at your your LinkedIn profile, and I, I checked out this book that you're uh, that the AMC is putting out uh, or put out called The Unlikely Through Hiker by Derek Lugo, who's a New York City comedian. Uh, what can you tell me about this book? It sounds it sounds as though it's something that addresses this topic. And it also sounds kind of fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a great book. Um, AMC uh, books. We've got about 80 titles out there now. And one of the books that I'm most proud about is uh, Derek's Unlikely Through Hiker book, which uh, just came out uh, last year. It's a it's a huge goal for us uh, at AMC uh, to get more uh, folks of color outdoors, uh, but involved with our organization, uh, including, you know, taking leadership roles, um, taking uh, roles on our staff, roles in our volunteer community, roles at our chapter level. And we have been um, deficient, uh, to say the least, like a lot of outdoors organization uh, organizations and just representing um, the, um, the white folks who are, who are well-connected, you know, in, in most cases, uh, white males like me who have had the the privilege of enjoying it. So we want to expand uh, not only AMC, but, uh, you know, really leverage the work that Amy has done to make sure that the outdoors is accessible uh, to, to every, every community. Everybody knows that we, we all own the outdoors. It's, it's common in our DNA. And the only way we're going to succeed and push back on things like, like global warming and climate change, uh, in, in pollution is by working together uh, as it, as the most diverse uh, community we can be. So uh, Derek's book is, it's a riot. You know, he talks about uh, hiking along the Appalachian Trail, um, it, you know, as a black man and uh, his experiences along the way, his experiences hiking through different communities. Uh, he's got one uh, really funny story. Uh, as an AT through hiker, Typically what happens is, is you get a trail name. Uh, so he, he talks about uh, getting his trail name. And I want to say it's something like, it's something like Mr. Fabulous. And he, he goes through, you know, why they called him Mr. Fabulous. And, uh, and then he, he, he really said, you know, after, after a short time, he started to take ownership and really want to be uh, Mr. Fabulous. But yeah, it's a, it's a great read. It's it's on outdoors.org. And uh, as you said, to have a, uh, a person of color uh, who is from uh, a major city talk about uh, his experiences along the Appalachian Trail, it really is a good book for uh, anyone to read who wants to kind of get more insight into the, the challenges and the opportunities we have when it comes to uh, really improving uh, the diversity uh, of our outdoors and the diversity uh, of folks who are involved with conservation and outdoor organizations. Yeah, it, it sounds fantastic. I'm a, I'm a sucker for, for walking literature in general. I love just books about walking. 
and uh, that that fits in. And then the the topic itself, uh, irresistible. I'm going to order it up probably after I leave here. <laughs> Thank you today. So, um, in uh, Amy, maybe you can address this one. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, how how rivers and waterways fit into to all of this. Uh, you know, this is Merrimack Valley Magazine. The Merrimack River is very important to us. We have some great local organizations like uh, the Merrimack River uh, Watershed Council who are doing interesting work. And the, the more I've been kind of listening to what they have to say, the more, the more I understand the, the importance now of, of the river, not just, it's, it's important economically, right? It's important in terms of like all sorts of different things in Lowell and in Lawrence and in Haverhill and in our particular area, but it's also, it plays this critical role in the ecosystem. So I'm just wondering how do rivers fit into this, uh, into this puzzle? Well, you know, we, we talk a lot in the conservation community about connectivity um, and the connections across the landscape, my, migration corridors for wildlife. Um, you know, it, it parallels over into the recreation community and trails and trail corridors and how, you know, a, a trail like the Bay Circuit Trail is also, it's a greenway. The Appalachian Trail Corridor is a huge greenway that stretches up the East Coast and, and has become a key migration corridor for wildlife. Um, and so these protected corridors are incredibly important, and that's the same for rivers and waterways, right? Um, they're really important for recreation, and the Land and Water Conservation Fund invests in, in public access to the rivers because the river is public land, but the banks are not necessarily. So to access the river legally and put in and take out, if you want a boat, um, you have to have public access. And LWCF has funded countless river access projects for, for boating and fishing and swimming, public beaches, um, you know, Cape Cod National Seashore comes to mind. Hmm. Um, places where, you know, you think about privilege and how much privilege it is to have waterfront property these days, public access is really important. Um, and as you said, also from, from that environmental standpoint, um, rivers and waterways are corridors. Um, they are, they are uh, you know, we have in Western Massachusetts, stretching north into New Hampshire and Vermont, south down to Connecticut, we have the Conti, the Silvio Conti um, National Fish and Wildlife Refuge is the only national wildlife refuge in the country that whose boundaries are based on a watershed. The entire watershed is the refuge. Um, and so, you know, that provides a level of connectivity through that whole watershed um, that is incredibly important as we look at the climate changing and species migrating and the uh, adaptation that needs to take place. Protecting those corridors is more important than ever. Um, and, and also having that public recreation access. You know, the AMC has been building the Connecticut River Paddlers Trail so that you can paddle all the way from the headwaters down to Long Island Sound. Mm. Um, so we were celebrating last week the passage of the Great American Outdoors Act with Congressman McGovern, um, who's been a key leader uh, in Congress to get this this bill over the finish line. We were out on the Connecticut River with him celebrating um, at an access point that was funded by the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, and there's an island in the middle of the river uh, that was also purchased using uh, funds from from LWCF, where AMC built a a camp a campsite for paddlers going down the Connecticut River Paddlers Trail. Um, 
So all these levels of connection are really are really something that that are important. You see, in a place like um, the Merrimack Valley, which is so densely populated, um, those trail connections, whether they are water trails or hiking trails, like the Bay Circuit, um, connections into communities and across jurisdictions, where you have this greenway that goes all the way from someone's backyard to the Parker River National Wildlife Refuge or Minuteman National Park. Um, so. The, the beauty of a program like this is that it, it invests across all those jurisdictions and really helps you see the landscape as a whole, um, both from an environmental perspective and from that human perspective. And so I, I, before I turn this over to Lou, because Lou's going to have some, uh, some questions, uh, I wanted to get a little bit personal, if you don't mind, uh, and, and talk about, like, I mean, this, this is the, the sort of work you're doing for someone who loves the outdoors and someone who feels connected to, to nature, whatever you want to call it, sounds like a great gig. Uh, do you have to fight to keep balance between, I'm just assuming you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't love nature, right? Do you have to fight Absolutely. to keep some balance in your personal lives where you're still able to get out and hike and mountain bike and snowshoe yourselves? Uh, or, is, or is this risk that you're going to end up being, you know, traveling down to Washington, D.C. all the time, and you're going to end up in, in lawyers' offices, and you're going to lose that, that, um, that feeling of connectedness? That does happen. I mean, I have worked so hard over the past five years to get this bill passed through two houses of Congress um, that, it, you know, I can't even tell you how many trips to D.C. Um, and it... I also have two small kids, so <laughs> they're great to get outside, but they, they don't always give me as much free time as I would like, nor can they hike up all the mountains that I'd like to hike up. So having that balance with, with your personal life and your professional life too is really important. We do these events like the one last week with Congressman McGovern, and we were all talking about how great it was to get outside and remember what it was that we were fighting for. Uh, in the halls of Congress. So we try to do that as much as possible. And that's where AMC is such a great organization. We have these really active chapters with tens of thousands of volunteers who've gone out and led hikes and talked about the Land and Water Conservation Fund. They did a bunch of hikes where to LWCF funded places to really educate people about you know, how this impacts you right in your backyard. Um, and then we take members of Congress out there and show them um, the investments in their districts and how it affects communities and their constituents. And that's what ultimately got this done, um, is connecting those dots for people between the places that they love, um, the iconic national places, but then also the places right in their backyards that they love, to the money that's gone into there from a particular program, to you know the silly acronym of that program, to this piece of legislation that's winding its way through Congress um, that needs to get passed in order to, to really um, benefit those places. So that's, that's where AMC's work has been pivotal to the whole campaign um, and to, to really getting this done in an incredibly difficult environment, um, both you know, in terms of the partisan challenges in Congress and COVID and, and everything else that we've been facing. So John, what about you? Yeah. I, I wish I could do more, Doug. I mean, that's the that's the issue. Uh, I was talking with one guy yesterday, and um, he was, you know, had just been out in the water for a couple of hours. And I had 10 of these Zoom calls yesterday. And, you know, by the end of it, uh, everybody is experiencing it, but you're just, 
you're kind of fried on Zoom. You know, this is just too much. So I think one of the keys for me is, and I don't know about other folks, is I think you really have to look at your week with the intention of saying, okay, I'm going to block out time. Uh, and I have a four-year-old, um, you know, like Amy, a young child, and thinking about, you know, how do I get out with her and do some climbing and hiking? And but we're fortunate we got up to the main woods uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, as I had said, had a cabin there and paddled around and hiked a little mountain and did some fishing. And it was it was a, co- a complete joy, you know, to unplug and get out there. So I think, you know, putting it in my calendar has been important and then trying to discover these local places that Amy was talking about, you know, the Bay Circuit Trail, which, you know, connects to Lawrence and Lowell and goes up to Plum Island and down to Duxbury and, and, and Rockland. I mean, it's just a really neat trail to, to hike into and hike along. It's two, 230 miles between 128 and 495. Great places, um, you know, certainly like the Blue Hills uh, Reservation, uh, the Harold Parker State Forest uh, up by us uh, around Andover. I mean, there are just so many great local places that we're so blessed uh, to live in New England that we really don't even have to get in our car to to, to go uh, far to, to find these places. So I think, you know, making sure you uh, include it in your in your calendar and really plan for it, because otherwise, I mean, you know, the drill, Doug, the day gets gets away from you if you don't if you don't put it in there with oh, intention yeah. right right with intention absolutely you and uh you know i've i work remotely part of the time so i may i have two young kids too i have one who's one and one who's three so i've put a lot of miles on the double stroller uh this summer <laughs> uh, and i've been fortunate in, in some ways and even a few weeks ago i did 15 miles on the bay circuit trail i did chelmsford to concord um and the reason why i did it is because I was inspired. We had a writer who wrote something on the Merrimack Valley section of the Bay Circuit Trail that just came out in the September issue. And I was kind of like jealous. I was like, it must have been neat to walk the, she walked the whole thing. So I was like, ah, I, I at least want to see a part. So I had to get out there and, and uh, put on my walking shoes. And, and uh, it was, it was even just 15 miles was a, was a pretty, uh, Pretty wonderful experience. Lou, do you have any questions for John and Amy? Yeah, I do. I want to start with Amy. And Amy, I'm going to circle back around on you on Merrimack, and I'm afraid I have to be this guy. (laughs) You talked about resources in the backyard, and I live on Plum Island. The Merrimack River is literally my backyard, and I've lived along the Merrimack all my life. And we're facing what I think is a crisis here with the combined sewage overflow systems that need to be redone. It's a major fiscal project. It's a huge project. It's going to take independent legislation uh, from Congress to fix it entirely. But are there any uh, ways that this Great American Outdoors Act or the Land and Water Conservation Fund can contribute to some of these in the meantime until we can get some of that major legislation? Who decides where this money goes? What's the process? How do you advocate for a particular project? Sure, yeah. So the Land and Water Conservation Fund actually has like nine different sub-programs. And some of them are at the federal level that invest in those national parks, national forests, national wildlife refuges. Um, and then uh, others are at the state level. Um, and the, the state and local assistance program is the one that does those state parks, local parks, playgrounds, swimming pools, splash pads, like every, anything and everything. Um, and the state of Massachusetts runs that 
um, <clears throat> they get that money from the Land and Water Conservation Fund every year. And that part of the program is given out according to a formula by population. So that places that have high population like Massachusetts get that share kind of per capita. Um, so the state of Massachusetts has been a great partner in, in implementing LWCF at, at that level. Um, and they've done fantastic projects um, and you know, I think we'll do we'll do so many more fantastic projects um, now that they're guaranteed that, you know, not only strong funding stream, that full funding at nine hundred million dollars annually, that's nationwide, mm -hmm. um, but that trickles down, but a consistent funding stream so that, you know, communities can do long term planning and think about, OK, what do we need to do to invest in in clean water? What do we need to do to invest in land conservation? What do we need to do to invest in recreation access? And they can, you know, have the confidence that that funding stream is going to be there. It's not going to fluctuate wildly anymore the way it has for the past 50 years. Um, and so they at least can count on that piece. And that federal funding becomes the seed money around which other in investment um, can gather, right? You have private right. investment from uh, nonprofits and land trusts. You have, um, you know, state level investment, local investment from communities. Um, and so you can get much more bang for your buck. Um, so that that will be incredibly important going forward. And then there's other grant programs um, through the LWCF, including, um, you know, ones that invest in historic battlefields, ones that invest particularly in forests. Uh, the Forest Legacy Program is um, is a grant program that invests in working forests and has been incredibly important in Massachusetts to protect drinking water, like all this land around the Quabbin Rev Reservoir, Brushy Mountain out in Central Mass. Um, there's a project now down in South Central Massachusetts, I believe impacts the uh, drinking water supply for Southridge um, <clears throat> called the, uh, I can't remember, it's like the Emerald Forest Project um, that should now get funding because of the Great American Outdoors Act. It was so low, low down on the national rankings list that if the Great American Outdoors Act had not passed, it would not have gotten done this year. Um, and talking with the folks who run that land trust that's working on that project, they probably would not have been able to hang on and resubmit it for funding next year um, if they hadn't gotten it this year. So the Great American Outdoors Act has made a huge difference there already, um, investing in keeping our forests as forests, which is the most important water investment that you could possibly make. The sewage overflow stuff is incredibly important built infrastructure, but if you invest in natural infrastructure, uh, proactively, you require less of that built infrastructure because the the trees and the soil will do that filtration for you if you keep forests as forests. And that's something that is incredibly important in New England as we are losing like 65 acres of forest every day. Um, Harvard Forest did a study on this a few years ago and came up with that figure. It's probably actually more now. Um, because the pace of conservation funding has not kept up with the pace of development. I want to note that New Hampshire is a part of this issue as well, a significant part of this issue as well. But I just want to ask, just to recap, so the funds are distributed to the states or on the city and town level? In other words, if we want to apply pressure for this money to get spent in this particular direction, uh, do we march on the state house or do we talk to our local, our local town hall? I think you can do both, right? It's a very ground up project uh, program. So, so cities and towns like submit projects to the state level, um, but the the folks who run the program on the state level in Massachusetts are fantastic, and they really kind of 
um, put a lot of effort into helping cities and towns apply um, and nonprofit land trusts and others who, who want to apply for these funds. Um, so I don't think you'll have to march on the state house. They just <laughs> you might have to march on the state house to get them some more funding for staff because the yep. staff that works on this is awesome, but there are relatively few of them. And so, uh, you know, with the budget crunch that's happening right now because of COVID, it's going to be difficult, I think, to, to get all the funds in the ground, but not not for lack of trying, because um, Massachusetts really does a great job. All right, John, let me ask you, the Appalachian Mountain Club, How talk a little bit about how vital the education part of your mission is, not for the education itself, but to involve more people at different age demographics in the outdoors so they'll be advocates for the outdoors, realize the importance of it, and continue legislation and continue conservation. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question in terms of, you know, where do, we, where do we take education now, you know, during these times when we can't get groups together? Um, so we've been thinking about uh, how do we pivot to not only offer more online, uh, but also create uh, some centers of excellence around um, training teachers, training parents, training youth workers, uh, creating the next generation of naturalists, the next generation of, uh, of walkers like Doug on the uh, Bay Circuit Trail. So education is a big part of who we are and, and what I like to emphasize, it's, it's about lifelong learning. I mean, we, the, the four of us and all of our viewers could spend the rest of their days, you know, trying to learn about nature and not even scratch the surface. I mean, it's just, it's incredible uh, the amount that we, that we don't know. We're doing a project called the Dragonfly Mercury Project. And I speak to this because of the citizen engagement and the learning component to it, that we're getting folks uh, at over 100 national parks now to go out and they get trained and they go out and they, they scoop up uh, dragonfly eggs and dragonflies lay thousands of eggs. So wow. it's yeah. not a big deal to lose some. And then they get those eggs measured for mer mercury poisoning. So we've got one of the best kind of mercury poison uh, mapping uh, around the country because of these citizen scientists. So we found that engagement in doing in experiential education is, is, is what we're good at and what we love to do. You know, there are 7,000 varieties of, uh, of dragonflies, you know, and to think about what folks can learn, not only about you know, dragonflies and then and the ecosystems that uh, Amy was talking about, but also what they can learn about, you know, in terms of mercury poisoning and pollution and what they can do in their backyard. So we're going to continue to do that, bringing people together, doing the base, doing the basics of, you know, Doug was talking about um, getting outdoors on snowshoes uh, with us just a moment ago. But what we try to do is bring together those outdoor experiences with uh, conservation-related uh, learning. Uh, much like Amy was saying that our chapters, we've got 12 AMC chapters with you know, tens of thousands of members in these chapters. But when they do trainings, they very much spoke about the work that Amy and AMC was doing uh, around the Land Water Conservation Fund 
uh, reappropriation and the coalition and what they could do uh, personally. So um, personalizing education is going to continue to become more and more important. Thinking about how do we uh, pivot and take advantage of, you know, the internet and videos and, and now Zoom because we have to do that. Uh, and then continuing to get small groups out in, in learning experiences. And then lastly, that citizen engagement uh, piece, the citizen science piece, we're going to continue to grow that yeah, because this army of uh, citizen scientists have, has been so helpful to us through the years. We've got the country's oldest climate change uh, data uh, from the White Mountains, and we've got people doing uh, phenology studies uh, up and around the mountains, and we've got a group of uh, school students in, in Maine uh, called Fish Friends that are doing work for us on, uh, on, on, on rivers and streams and waterways up there. So I think, you know, experience and engagement are going to be a key part of our, our education success, but we're, we're continuing to figure out how to grow that and where can we be best in, in terms of helping more people get active outdoors and in conservation. Another aside, uh, in the in, by chance, in our September issue, our nature columnist, uh, Sarah Corshane, had, writes her column on dragonflies. So if people are interested <laughs> in this topic, check out the September issue wow. uh, in the backyard Great. naturalist, because you'll, you'll find out all about this and, and more. Uh, John and Amy, thank you so much for coming on the 495. I really appreciate you carving out the time and talking. I'm, I'm thrilled about the great news about the Outdoors Act. I'm looking forward to uh, to getting outside myself this weekend. My guests today have been John Judge uh, and Amy Lindholm from the Appalachian Mountain Club and the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. Thank Thanks for having us.